0: in John chapter 9. That's the the Bible um, study that we've been doing over these last several weeks. And we hope you've been reading. We hope you've been in John 9 and that you've been reading it all week and meditating on it, whatever else you're doing in your times in the Word or your times with God, that you could kind of be ready to hear like, oh, I've been soaking in the Word because that's what I did this week. And uh, in fact, next week we're going to do John 10. So be in John 10 if you want to so that you're ready to go for next next sermon. Uh, Ben's preaching on John 10 next Sunday morning. But that's what I did. I just got soaked in. And I, I, so by Friday, I'm like, okay, how do I craft a sermon out of all the ways in which this was such a rich text for me? And so I couldn't really craft a sermon. I ended up with this. So here's my title. This is what I ended up with. I ended up with stuff that I don't want you to miss from John 9 about Jesus, God's work, the human condition, waiting for God, and then what in the world we're to do with all that. Okay? So that's my sermon. And I have seven points. What? Yes for free you get all seven of them and so thank you brother and so here's what we're going to do we're going to get through them and um, and if you if you remember off the top of your head anytime you catch me in the county this week and you off the top of your head you can remember two out of the seven I'll give you all the money in my pocket okay so we're here we go and so if you're taking notes get ready all right, number one. No, let's read the text first. All right, let's read the text first. Here's what we want to do. We're going to be in John chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. Oh, would you open your Bibles? Because I'd love for you to see it sitting there. Some of this stuff I have up on the screen, some I do not. Love to have you have your Bible open. So the Bible's underneath the seats in front of you. It's page what? Someone want to give me one? 1074. 1074 for John chapter 9. This is a story about Jesus healing a blind man. And we're just going to focus mostly on the first seven verses, and then we're going to jump down toward the end of the chapter at the end of the sermon. And we may run out of time and not get all seven, but we'll see how we do here. Okay, here's the word of the Lord. John chapter 9. Everybody got it? Verse 1. As he went along, Jesus saw a man blind from birth. Oh, so wait. Okay, can you see why this might take a while? He saw a man blind from birth. Now, what, how did Jesus know that that man had been blind from birth? That's a detail, you don't want to miss in the scriptures, right? Oh, well, there's a guy who was blind from birth. Oh, that's an interesting detail. How come Jesus knew that? How do we know that Jesus knew that? Because he knows everything. That is bingo. That is the Sunday school answer. Jesus knows everybody's story. And he encountered this guy knowing already all that he had been through. Now, come on, that might be the only sermon you need today. That as Jesus was walking along the road, he encountered a man and he knew his story and knew what he was carrying and knew what he needed. And that's your encounter with Jesus too. That's such good news. All right, that'll preach. That's not even one of my points. Okay, as as he went along, he saw a blind man from birth. A man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? So apparently there was a Jewish teaching a Jewish sort of tradition of belief that said, man, when bad things happen to people, it's because bad things happen to bad people. This is part of the classic conundrum of us and our belief in God, like, well, how come bad things happen, right? It's a big why. And apparently they were teaching, well, either he sinned, and they even, logically, because people were born with, with birth defects or disabilities, they even went to the place where they said, well, they must have sinned, that baby must have sinned in utero. Because they had to try to figure out where to put this. So they said, well, so, or did his parents sin? And so that's what happened because this bad stuff can only happen if there was some sin involved. This is the religious teacher, or this is disciples asking in the context of their religious teachers get involved later. This is disciples. They're like, so what's, what's the deal? And Jesus says, verse three, neither this man nor his parents sinned. Effectively, we'll talk about it in a minute. Jesus was like, you're asking the wrong question. This man nor his parents sinned, but this happened, that the works of God might be displayed in him. This happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is today, we must do the works of him who sent me. In other words, you see Jesus going, you're asking the wrong question. Let's talk about what God wants to do. Let's talk about what we can do here about this problem. Night is coming, no one's going to work. He's alluding to the crucifixion and the, the persecution and the scattering of the believers. He goes, but while I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. And then after saying this, verse six, he spit on the ground. He made some mud with the saliva, put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. Siloam means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. Oh, that's the word of the Lord. Isn't that a great story. Oh, Can't wait for you to learn some things that I don't want you to miss in John chapter 9 about Jesus and God and the human condition and all the, what in the world we're supposed to do with all this. So ready? We're going to get going. I got seven of them. Let the clock begin. Number one. Say with me, number one. Number one. Here we go. One. The answer to why something has happened is way too complex for you to ever fully understand. Okay, this is the money point too. In fact, I'll give you all the money in my pocket and an IOU for double that if this is one of the points that you remember when you run into me in the county later this week and can memorize two of my seven points, okay? These guys were asking the why question. Whoa, this shouldn't be this situation. This guy has gone through so much in his life He was blind from birth, he was suffering that way, he had no way to make a living, there was no welfare in this economically depressed time in the ancient Middle East, and so he had a very difficult life. Not only that, but the whole religious community basically figured that he had been somehow defective before God in order to be born with that kind of a disability, and all the people around him then judged his parents and his whole family for it. It was a terrible way to go through life, and it shouldn't be. And so these guys then ask the question, why did that happen? Do you resonate with that question? Every one of us has got a why did this happen? This shouldn't be thing going on in our lives. It may be in our story that was so formational all the way back to the beginning of your story. It may be something that even to this day you're carrying, it may be something that just happened recently, but there's that why is this happening question. Where do I put this in the whole sphere of this story? of a good God and a Christ, a Savior who loves me. What do I do with it? Why should this happen? They ask this why question rather innocently as human beings walking the journey. And Jesus goes on to say, that's not even gonna be a question that you can get your mind around. That's not the right question. In a minute, we're gonna talk about what the right question is. But Jesus goes, that's not a thing. That thing you're talking about, why it happened, His family, Jesus is like, nope. And Jesus is gonna go on to say, right? What it's about now is what God's gonna do. But why it happened, that's not really answerable. Now, Jesus could answer it, but it isn't the question. It isn't even something that Jesus is going to entertain as part of the dialogue because Jesus is living in the here and now, in a God who loves us, and a God who's in our story, he knows us, and now what's God want to do? The why thing is way too complex for us to ever fully understand anyway. Do You get that point? way too complex for us to ever fully understand. Let me, t- let me share with you a silly illustration so that I don't have to talk about my deepest wounds and unmet needs and longings. But I was on my bicycle on Thursday, and here, the backstory is that I had a little mishap on my bike the week before, two weeks before, I had my bike on my bike rack standing up on the roof of my car, you know? And I came home from a bike ride, and I drove into my garage. <laughs> have you done that? <laughs> Rebecca, you've done that? <laughs> okay, so, The noise it made, it was really heartbreaking for those of us who love our bicycles. So I took it in to the bike hospital to get fixed. And I finally got out on Thursday to ride on it again, put some miles on it and see what happened. So I got about, I was, uh, I went up to the Napa Valley, that's where I go on my Sabbath. And I went and rode my bike and I got about 13 miles away from my car and I heard this Noise and I looked down and my back wheel, a, a, a spoke had broken and shot off and the wheel completely went out of true and just rammed up against the frame of the bicycle and I was done, stopped. Just dead on the road, right? Now, I'm like, okay, what do I do with this moment right here, right? Now, it's a silly illustration but I was off a long ways from my car with a broken bike and stuck on the road. Why did that happen? You t- tell me some of the reasons why that happened. Because we can guess, right? Why did that happen? Somebody tell me a couple. Yep. Were gonna have an encounter with somebody who needed... I was gonna have an encounter with somebody who was gonna be needing something, right? There was a way in which God interrupted my journey because he had somebody else in mind, right? It wasn't about me and my successful bike ride. Good. Why else would it have happened? Could it have happened? Yep. Seth, who is that? Oh, Jim. God is teaching you to love your bicycle. God is teaching me to like, as in care for it better. (laughs) Oh. You know, or God is teaching me not to love my bicycle so much. What else? What else could could it have been? Yeah, Jess. Maybe I was needing, I had tunnel vision. Maybe I needed to look around me and see what was happening around me for whatever reason. What, what, could, what's, what could some of the reasons have been, Jazz, that I had needed to look around? Maybe God was trying to show you his love. He's trying to show me his love, the beauty, a winery I needed to stop in to. <laughs> <laughs> Never going to do that on my bicycle. Yeah, yeah, something in the way back, back row. Now yeah, I'll take Jeff for 100. Je- <laughs> So, right, when something like that goes down in our lives, it could be that he's saying, hey, you know the choices you made earlier? They they didn't quite bear the fruit you were looking for, right? Teaching me about what to do next time with my bike. Good good observation. Yeah, somebody's right here. Yeah, Arv. God has the right to interrupt your activity anytime he wants. God has the right to interrupt my activity. And we go, why? Why did that get interrupted? And the answer is? He wanted it. Look at Arv entering right into the, the answer is too complex. God wanted it. In his sovereignty, God wanted it. Yeah. Any last ones that you can think of why that would happen? Will. You need a new bike shop. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What about the bike shop? I, you need to take it to a new bike shop. I needed to go to a different bike shop. <laughs> yeah. just once spoke in the cog of his, of his purpose. Oh, yeah. I like that. I'm just one spoke, right? Meaning there's other stuff going on, right? Somebody said in first gathering, you, there's somebody who ran a stop sign later on on that journey and you weren't there because your bike broke down. Now, I mean, we don't mean to be dramatic, but you're like, how, that's got to be the way that God functions in all this sovereignty. Do you you see the point? There's so many reasons why this could have happened. And guess how many of them we have confirmed? God wanted to do it. Listen, I know there's no way we're going to get through seven points at this rate, but. I want to share this story that I've shared many times before, but it is the most significant marker in my life, and it's illustrative here. We're not going to know the reasons why God's doing stuff. We're not. We're not going to know that. But what we're going to find out is that God has his reasons. What we're we going I mean, sorry, not what we're going to find out, but what we're going to come to accept is that God has his reasons in his glory. And asking the question, why, 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 never gets us where we need to go. My story was that you remember that I left Marin Covenant Church in 2000 and whatever it was, and three and two, two 2002, And God, we felt, was leading us to Colorado, and it ended up going to a job that didn't turn out to be the kind of job that I wanted to, and we loved Marin Covenant, and we loved Marin County, and we loved our life here, and we loved all that God was doing, and yet we thought that that was the way we needed to go, and we ended up going there, and it didn't turn out what we had hoped, and the disappointment in that choice in that decision and the circumstances that surrounded it. it became this ache in our hearts like why God why would you lead us out of such a rich place of great ministry and deep relationships and, and the peace of Christ ministering I and it was such a great place for us to be in. we ended up moving to Colorado and it ended up being a spiritual desert it ended up being not a great job for me not a great fit and we spent three and plus years asking God like why did this happen and it was rough, and it never got better. You know, you think like, I'm resilient. Here we go. I'm a positive person, and it never got better. It was, it, it's, it's a symbol for me for all of the things, you guys, that, we, that come into our lives, the, the, the wounds that we have, the longings that we have that are unmet, the healing that we need isn't, that isn't yet, all of the longings that we carry. This is one of those pictures for me. We're like, why, why, why? Well, somewhere in that journey, almost three years into that journey, I knew like God was beginning to free us up from that job, that that was time to maybe look for something else. And so I wanted to let my daughter know that. It was a senior in high school because when she was picking colleges, I didn't want her to think that maybe we were going to be in Colorado in case she made the choice based on, you know, that that reality. And so we were at a wedding in, in San Diego, a family wedding in San Diego, and we were running on the beach in La Jolla. And... When we were running together, I said, hey, listen, don't tell anybody. I haven't told my board, and I haven't told my faculty. I was a Bible college director, and I'm like, I haven't told everybody yet, but I think the Lord's freed me to not have, not, do, not have to. Did you hear that? Not have to do another year here. And so I just wanted you to know as you pick colleges or whatever. And Brooke said to me on that run, while we're running on the beach, she, she says, you know, Dad, I know that this move was really, really hard for you and Mom. I'm like, yeah, you mean me whining for three and a half years? Like, why are we here? (laughs) Like, ugh, trickled down to my poor kids. Had to carry that burden. She goes, I know it was really, really hard. And I'm like, yeah, thanks. And she goes, but I want to tell you something. And she stopped me in our run, and she put her hand on my arm, and she said, you know, when I left Marin in ninth grade, I was not in a good place. And I'm like, no, I know, freshman year, it's hard being in high school. That's a rough deal. And she squeezed my arm, and she said, no, no, not in a good place. And then she said, I would never be walking with the Lord the way I am now if we hadn't moved to Colorado. I literally fell on my knees in worship because I felt the Holy Spirit saying to me, how about that for a reason? With all of your like, why, what, what? The Lord's like, how about just that one thing? Would that have been worth it? Would you have moved to Colorado for that one thing? And then as I said, of course I'll do anything because your work is so powerful and so beautiful. That's all I want. As I was there, I felt the Lord say, and I have a million reasons like that that you know nothing about for this one thing. The answer to why something has happened is way too complex for you to ever fully understand. So that's not the question that Jesus wanted to answer. The question Jesus wanted to answer is, so now what's God gonna do? And that's the number. That's number two, say number two with me, two. What does God wanna do now is the question above all questions. Jesus said in verse three, neither this man nor his parents sinned. That's not the question. What happened? We're not gonna figure that out. You gotta trust that I'm gonna do amazing things, but you're not gonna know. I got a million of those and you don't know what, what those are. Doesn't make you worship. This is, this, is what, this is what Arv's thing in my dumb bike illustration was about. He's like, because the Lord has the right to interrupt your bike any time he wants And the question isn't like, why? He's like, because I did. And I'm doing a million things that you can't even begin to get your head around. I might give you a couple once in a while. I'll give you some, I'll I'll give you a nod. I got one, a huge one. But that's not the question. The question is, what does God want to do now? Jesus said, no, this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. This happened so that we could see God at work. Now, don't get too caught up in what sounds like cause and effect language, like, well, I made this happen so that I could do this miracle. Cause and effect as always sounds that way in the Bible linguistically because they have such a belief in the sovereignty of God. And the sovereignty of God sounds very much like cause and effect. It doesn't just happen willy-nilly. God is in control of all of it. So yes, there's cause and effect. But what Jesus is really saying is, here, don't look back and ask why I'm doing stuff you'll never get your head fully around. Look forward and go, what does God wanna do now? This happened, this, you're experiencing this now. You have this longing now. You have this brokenness now. You have this angst now. You have this unmet need now. You have this grief now because God wants to meet you in it. That's what this text is saying. What happened in this big story? Shouldn't we all, wouldn't it be theologically, well, would blame somebody? Jesus is like, no. What does God wanna do? Doesn't that sound like what followers of Christ should be about? That they look at every single situation they carry, good, bad, indifferent stuff that happened to them, stuff that people imposed on them, stuff that they did by their own choices. Shouldn't followers of Christ look at every one of those situations and go, God, what do you wanna do with this? What do you wanna do now with this? Cause that's the question that is gonna that now be the one above all of it. Where is God in this? Where does God wanna meet me? What needs to happen now? Man, those two points right there, if that's all you get from this sermon, even if you don't memorize them, those are two things that we need to walk out of here being reminded of. The wise you're never going to fully get that. The question is, I'm yours right now, God. And out of all the million things that are the wise that I'll never get my head around, what do you want me to do? What, what are you going to do with this? What? How are you going to meet me in this? So that thing a few minutes ago where you were like, yeah, no, I'm carrying some of that stuff. I'm carrying some whys, I'm carrying some wounds, I'm carrying some aches, I'm carrying some longings that are unmet. Can you walk out of here going, God, what do you want to do in that? How do you want to meet me in that? Where are you in that right now? And that sounds like a journey of a relationship with a Savior who will walk with us through life. And that's the good news. That's what we've been given because this Holy Spirit dwells in us. That's the question above all questions. God, what do you want to do now? We'll return to that in a little bit. That's number two. Number three, say three. 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 We are all involved. We are all going to be involved in doing what God wants to do now. You look at the text in verse four, Jesus said this happened and now the works of God are going to be displayed in him. And then he goes on to say, look, at if it's daytime, We're going to do the works of God, of him who sent me to do, what? Sorry, okay. As long as it is today, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night's coming, again, he's referring to the crucifixion there, and we're not going to be able to do the same kind of stuff, at least for a while. But while I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. But I don't want you to miss as we study the scriptures, the words there we must do the works of him who sent me. Jesus turns to his disciples and goes, yeah, no, the question is, what is it that God wants to do now? Because we got to do that. Oh, you hear it? And they're like, you, you, you're the savior. You got to do it. And he's like, no, we're going to do it. We're going to do the works God requires. So every difficulty that we face, everything we run up into in other people's lives, it's all about what does God wanna do? We drove into the Tenderloin and my car got quiet on the way in, looking around going, this shouldn't be. What do we do with the desperation in here? What do we do with all the junk we're seeing? Jesus in the scriptures is like, listen, there's a whole bunch of whys, but what does God wanna do now? In fact, what does God wanna do today? Because we are gonna do the works but God has asked us to do let's simplify it a little bit for you like I'm not going to understand it God come and do your thing he's like yeah let's us do that that means not only your pain your longings your difficulties but all the ones that you see in the world all the ones that you run up into in the lives of the people that bring you in on their story they're gonna you get to do the works that God has required you know what that means That means not only do you walk out of here knowing that Jesus is going to be doing stuff in your story, you walk out of here knowing that you get to be good news in other people's stories. You all walk out of here going, when somebody shares stuff with you, inside you're like, oh, we got to do the works that God wants to do. What does that look like in this situation? Oh man, what a privilege to be in the kingdom of God doing the king's business. So don't miss that, that we get to be involved in doing what God wants us to do. Oh, the funny thing uh, uh, about that is Jesus said, yeah, look at I'm I'm the light of the world. So, you know, I'm going to go bring light everywhere. Where else do you know that phrase, light of the world? Anybody? Sermon on the Mount? Sermon on the Mount. You look at Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5.14, Jesus isn't saying, I am the light of the world. I got to do the stuff God wants me to do. Sermon on the Mount. Matthew five fourteen, Jesus goes, "You're the light of the world." Here, Jesus, is like, "I'm the light of the world. We got to do God's work. You're the light of the world. You're the light of the world. You're the light of the world. You bring not the why answers, which are impossible to know. You bring the What does God want to do now? And let me be an agent of what God wants to do now, right now, in this story. Come on, Isn't that beautiful." This miracle story of Jesus is going, yep, why is the wrong question? It's what God wants to do now. And guess what? We're going to all do that together. Is that only three? Okay, I'm going to pick up the pace. Here we go. Four. Say four. Four. Jesus' miraculous work comes in many forms. And all I want to point out here is when you look at how Jesus did it, verse 6 and 7. After saying this, Jesus spits on the ground, makes some mud with his saliva, and puts it on the man's eyes, and then he goes, go, now you gotta go, go, go where? And the guy's like, go where? And he's like, go to the pool of Siloam, and go wash in the pool of Siloam, and so the man did, and then he came home seeing. There's this journey of healing that's happening there, but Jesus' work happens in many forms, and what I mean about that is what a weird thing that Jesus is like, okay, here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna spit on the ground, and then I'm gonna make mud out of that, and then I'm gonna put it on your eyes, and then you gotta take a hike, And then, when you wash it off, then you're going to see my work. Like, if you line up all the miracles of Jesus parallel, you've known this, right? Not one of them is like the other. They're all done differently. And I tell you that because as we're going to encounter this, the love of God, the work of God, like, God, what's the question that's above all questions? What do you want to do now? When we're going to ask that question and encounter God at work, it's not going to look like the last time you worked in your life. And it's not going to look like the way it looked like in your spouse's life. And it's not going to look like the person giving testimony at church. It's going to look like a God who knows your story. And he did something really unique. Isn't that beautiful? In fact, the next one, say five. The only thing that's really universal in any of these miracle stories is that there's a journey of faith or a waiting on God that's required. There's some component in every one of the healing stories that there was some sort of a a faith piece, some sort of a waiting on him, some sort of a, um, okay, nothing's happening yet. I mean, this guy, in this guy's story, it was the, you know, it was so funny, he's the son of God, so why couldn't he have just been like, in my name, boom, like boom, healed, Sight, boom, right there. And he kind of did versions of that in other, in other ones, but he didn't do that. Instead, he's like, okay, everybody, I'm making mud, right? Like, like I'm rubbing it and I'm putting on and then you, And this guy had to then get and go for, like, hey, everybody, uh, take him to the pool of Siloam, which is probably a substantial way away. It was way down on the south end of the city. And, and they had to go on a journey to get there. And then he had to wash. And like, there was this thing. Can you imagine this person going, my hope was that you are the Messiah. My hope was people said you could heal. And, and now we got all this stuff happening, but it, listen, but it hasn't happened yet. And how is going across town going to help? Either you have the power, or you don't have the power to heal me. Either you're the answer to my longings or you're not the answer to my longings. And Jesus is like, now do this and now do that. And he had to walk the journey. That is embedded in every one of the miracle stories in some way I dare you to find one where there's not some faith piece involved in it because mostly, friends, healing is slower on this side of heaven than we want to believe it. We're thinking it's the genie and the lamp thing and I don't have time to go into all, as a whole other sermon here. My heart is around like that waiting piece, that waiting piece is incredibly beautiful and incredibly treacherous of a time. It's incredibly beautiful because as we wait, it cultivates our longing that in fact, he is all of what we've hoped for, that this is true. And you say to yourself as you're struggling, I have a friend who was who uh, uh, swimming off ocean beach and was drowning and caught in a rip current. And he said to the Lord, like as you struggled and struggled and struggled, and he said, Lord, if I make it through this, I will give you my life. Well, The Lord does that. The Lord is with us in our struggles. Sometimes we get to the place where we don't know if we can keep our head above water. It's because he is cultivating a heart for him, that our souls would belong to him, that our hearts would be connected to him, that he would be our one true lover of our souls. He's not hoping we'll come to him so he can fix us. He's not hoping that that he'll come to us, that we'll come to him so that our life would be a little more easy He's hoping that we come to him and in the journey of coming to him that we get touched with the deepest longings inside and go, are you the one who made me and you're the end of all of my longing and I will give my life to you forever. That's what he's longing for. Worshippers, followers. And so in the waiting, this guy to walk through town, people are going, what are you doing? Is that mud on your eyes? You're like, yeah, it's mixed with a guy's spit. (laughs) But every step of the way. He was wondering and hoping if this could really be true. In the waiting, it's incredibly beautiful and it's incredibly treacherous because in the waiting, the enemy of our souls comes in with all of his arrows and shoots them at us and goes, this isn't true. He's not powerful. He's not good. He doesn't know your story. He doesn't see you and he doesn't care that you're suffering. And people jettison their faith in that waiting period. So we remind ourselves of these kinds of truths. Oh, we're not going to know the wise. And there's always a journey of waiting in the midst of this miracle story that's happening. So the pool of Siloam was a long ways away. By the way, Siloam, you can't miss this in the text. It's so good. It says, go to the pool of Siloam. And then in parentheses, John says, this word means sent. And you're like, what is he saying? What's that about? The word Siloam means sent? Why would John put that in there? The word means sent, meaning um, sending forth, like coming up, like, like the water was sent. And the reason was because remember they had this tradition about the Pool of Siloam. It was an intermittent spring and water would come bubbling up intermittently from the spring. And they believed that when that happened, that that was the angel of God stirring the water. The water was sent from God to be a healing place. And when the angel was stirring the water, if they all touched in and washed there, there would be healing from God. This is what they believed. And so John's like, sent that word sent, like go to the pool of Siloam because I'm the one who was sent and I'm sending the healing your way. It's a process, it's a journey. I love that, that John was reminding them of that by using that little phrase right there, sent. But healing is so much slower this side of heaven that we want that we get stuck in that waiting period. You know, Mark chapter 8 is another story of a guy getting healed from blindness. And this was the story where Jesus, and he didn't do it exactly the same way. This one, I think he actually, Jesus spit on his eyes and then made mud there and then touched him. And then he goes, "Say, hey, so can you see? And the guy's like, do you remember this story? The guy's like, uh, no, not so good. <laughs> now, Everything's all blurry. But it looks like trees walking around. Like I can't tell if there's a tree and a human and I, it's going to be cool that I can see maybe a tree because I bumped into plenty of trees in my life as a blind guy. <laughs> Why would the son of God with all perfect power half heal a guy and go, how's that? <laughs> there's only one explanation to that story that God is communicating through his word to us that this healing journey is going to be a journey of rhythm, of God coming back again, of God doing more work, of us waiting, of us putting our hope in him, of partial healing till the kingdom comes. Part of what partial healing does is we say, Lord, I can't wait for one day when we'll be free. When the restoration comes and the kingdom will come in its fullness. Because God's like, yeah, don't get so stuck in this world. You were made for the full restoration of heaven and earth. So there's so many. Oh, it's so good. So one thing that we know is that this journey of faith or that this healing thing is a journey of faith. There's a waiting on him. And then two more, and I'm just gonna skip, almost skip this one. Six, say six. Thanks. You don't have to understand all this, but just keep telling your story. When you read the middle verses of this chapter, it's the Pharisees and the teachers of the law get involved, and they're trying to figure out where to put this. They're still asking a why question, too, and they're trying to figure out why, like, who's the Jesus guy, and how does that all work out? And this poor guy who was born, he didn't have any encounter with Jesus until this point, apparently, and so he didn't have answers for him. And so in verse 11 and verse 15 and verse 25, they're like, so tell us, who is this guy? Isn't he a sinner? How could he save you? And they were trying to figure it out. They were not applying belief to this situation at all, and in each one of those places. The guy who was born blind was like, you know, I don't know. I can't I don't, I can't, I don't even want to tell you. I don't know who this guy is. I was blind and then he spit on some mud and now I see. And they're like, that's ridiculous. What kind of a story is that? You got to tell us what all this means. Like, who is this guy and what did you do? And he's like, again, I was blind, you know, like blind, like couldn't see, like my whole life. And now... <laughs> I can see stuff. And then they're like, later, like, well, wait a minute. Only, you know, only God's Savior could do that. And he, the guy's not like, do you not understand the words coming out of my mouth? <laughs> Three times. All I know is that I was blind and now I see. I said this in our Instagram post this week, you know, around this text. Look, at you may be like, man, God's doing stuff in my life. I don't even know how to talk about it yet. That's okay. Just tell your story and keep encountering Jesus. And he'll keep circling back. He'll keep circling back. And that's my seventh point. Say seven. Seven. Jesus is looking for you. At the end of this text, in verse 35, when Jesus heard that he had all these encounters with these religious people, who, by the way, probably kicked him out of the synagogue, he was no longer an official religious person because they were just like, you can't, we don't know what to do with you. Jesus heard that they'd thrown him out, and when he found him, when he found him, He had a conversation with him. In other words, Jesus was looking for him to circle back and process this work that he was doing in the guy's life. He didn't have all the information he needed for a full life of faith and abundance and walking with God. He didn't know what to do with it and Jesus circled back to have a conversation with him. So in the midst of your longing, in the midst of your healing that you're waiting for, in the midst of the unmet needs that you have in your life, I want you to know that Jesus is looking for you. And when he finds you, he's going to keep working in your heart, your life, your wounds. He's going to keep coming for you. And some of you are like, I know that's why I'm here. Because he kept coming after me. I tried to stay away. And he kept coming after me. And I'm just here to warn you that if you run off, he's going to come after you. Is that creepy? Jesus is looking for you. (laughs) He's looking for you because we got to do the works that God wants to do. What does God want to do now? Now, Ben, I'm going to have you guys come out. I want to respond because I want you to see this at the end of that. When Jesus found him, Jesus said, So do you believe? Look at your, verse, your Bible in verse 35 through 37 do you believe in the Son of Man? Do you believe in the Messiah? In other words, they all knew that the Son of Man, the Savior of the world, the Messiah that was gonna come would give sight to blind people. Everyone knew that. And he goes, so do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked, tell me so that I may believe in him. And Jesus said, you're looking at him. You've now seen him, I'm he. And the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped. Do you remember that God's not gonna come into our wounds and into our longings and into our unmet needs just to fix our problems? God's gonna come and meet us and keep circling back because he wants to capture our hearts that he is the only one worth living for. That, my friends, is worship. And so as I leave you today, I want you to rehearse one statement and one question as you go from here. And the statement is that everything, this is the truth, that every single thing, everything in your lives, good, bad, and ugly, beautiful, everything we are born with, everything that happens to us, even everything that we have brought on ourselves, is an opportunity for the glory of God to be manifested through his work in our lives. Everything we're going through is something that God's going to be like, and now I want to work in this. That's the statement you rehearse that everything 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 and that thing you identified in your in your head earlier why did this happen everything we've ever been through god wants to meet us and to do his work now and that's the question then that we'll rehearse as well so what does god want to do now So as we go from here, we may not have any more insight of what was in the past. We may not see even God working any more. We don't know how he's going to work in the future. But we're open to God. What do you want to do? So we bring those things to him. And that's akin to this guy at the end of the story going, I believe and I will worship the only one who has power to capture my heart and my soul and do these miracles in my life. So I give myself to you again. Let's respond in worship.